Welcome to the Wise Women Diaries podcast. This is where shame and victimhood die. I am a woman that questions everything, so this podcast is a reflection of that. Here we speak on non-mainstream perspectives, like healing our childhood wounds, learning to trust ourselves, the voice of fear versus intuition, and how children are our teachers. We discuss what it looks like to own your power as a woman and step out of the medical paradigm. That's why I am obsessed with interviewing women who trust their bodies and babies in home birth and free birth and their wild journey from maiden to mother. Ultimately, this podcast is for women who want to thrive and have inner peace, learning how to take radical responsibility for their life and shed victimhood for good. Hi, I'm Maria. I'm a mom of two boys. My older son is 16 and my younger son is six. Um, I'm from Poland originally. I moved to Canada where I currently reside with my family uh, when I was an adult and when I met my husband. And the rest is where we are at today. Our story, well, my story of motherhood began when I was a child because I always imagined myself as a mom. I come from a big family. I myself have three siblings, three brothers. Then my mom had seven siblings. My dad had four of them. So, you know, family was always big for me. I have lots of, lots of cousins. And I always imagined my, my life as being a mom and having a family of my own one day. Um, when we got married with my husband, we've one day just decided, you know, it's time, let's have a baby. And we conceived our son like, you know, super quickly within probably like two months and boom, we were pregnant. And at that time of our lives, we were still very much within the medical, typical, stereotypical uh, medical paradigm. So he was delivered in the hospital with a doctor, with the epidural, with, you know, all of the prompts like, oh, you need to get it right now (laughs) because the anesthetist is going home or whatnot. So... Um, So it was like your typical, you know, typical uh, hospital delivery. Um, But, you know, we didn't know any better back then. We didn't know anything else back then. And myself and my husband both come from the homes that it could not have been any other way at that time in our life. It just could not. Like all the, the paradigm that we were raised in, just didn't know any better. Um, so a little bit, you know, to go back to how we've been raised, me and my husband. Um, so he came here when he was a child to Canada. That is, I was raised still in Poland. Um, my family stayed there and I was raised there. And when I look back at how we've been raised, there was a little bit of the old world paradigm um, you know, doctor knows best, doctor will give you antibiotics or doctor will give you this and that and and stuff like that, right? So um, fast forward to, you know, us having our own children. One day we decided, you know, he's two, so maybe it's time for another baby. 
because, you know, they should be two years apart, decided, okay, let's go for it, right? So when we move forward with my story, it brings us to basically the awakening of the consciousness and spirituality in our life um, and how it all impacted our fertility journey. Um, And another thing is we were very much raised in a paradigm. You're very religious family, as in religious in a Catholic sense. We go to church every Sunday, we pray, you know, we do your prayers and, and so forth. But there's been always some kind of connection missing for me in that, that, you know, that I know, like, there is a disconnection with someone in there. Like, I know there is God. I feel it. I know it. But it's like, why are we being so scared about, you know, going to hell and so forth, right? So all of these thoughts actually, like, now that I look at it from perspective, it has impacted our journey immensely and how we raise our children and and so forth. So moving again, fast forwarding to we're trying to conceive our second baby and it's just not happening, right? Um, It's just not happening. and you know, it should happen because biologically speaking, (laughs) we're doing all the correct things at the correct times and it's just not there, right? Um, And, you know, after some time when you're not conceiving, all of these emotions come in, like, why am I not conceiving? Um, Why is it not happening? It's like, you know, it should happen already, right? Like, it should be there. And it's like, you know, at first, we're like, oh, you know, it will happen, you know, not this year, maybe next year, but it's like, you know, we're on year four and it's still not happening. <laughs> so, um, and other than those thoughts that your brain is telling you that, you know, biologically speaking, and like it should work because, you know, a man, a woman, all the correct motions and so forth, and it should happen. But it's like, you know, your brain is telling you one thing, but your emotions are telling you something else. And, you know, you're getting heartbroken because you're hoping and it's another month that is not happening, right? So, you know, your heart is breaking, you're sad. And at some point, I had a really hard time with my husband connecting because I started being resentful that he is not as devastated as I am, that we're not being able to conceive, right? So, like, on one hand, I love him because he's my husband, but on the other hand, I'm like, why is he not as devastated as I am, right? This is devastating, you know, he should be devastated. And, like, he is devastated in his own way, but he also is a man who is, you know, ahead of the family and the head of our little tribe of three, you know, and he has all of these responsibilities in his head, right? So at some point, I remember myself, we just started talking about it because those emotions just started overflowing out of me and we just started talking and I said, listen, why don't we like do something about it right like i don't know maybe there's something wrong with us you know maybe i don't know with the first pregnancy something got blocked or and you don't know you hear all of these stories about scarring in the fallopian tubes about you know this or that and you're hitting 30 something and it's like 
all of that mental noise that's scaring you on all of the levels, right? All of that noise in there. And I remember finding myself basically just like not knowing what I should do. And I was so hopeless because I am a person who acts and finds solutions and I am unable to find that solution and my brain isn't able to find that solution, right? Um, and I remember, I don't even remember what year it was because between our um, first son and the birth of our first son and our second son, there's 10 years in there, so, you know. And I remember one year, um, one month, I got my period, which was in theory on time, but I started bleeding and it's been like, I've been bleeding for like two weeks or three even. And it's like, okay, this is like not fine. There is obviously something in there. So I went to my doctor because still we're very much in this, like, you know, my doctor, I have to rely on his knowledge because he knows best uh, paradigm. So I went to my doctor and first thing they did is pregnancy test, right? Which I told them, Uh, Because they asked me and I said, no, I didn't. But I kind of was wondering if it's even a possibility, right? So the first thing they did was a pregnancy test. um, And I started thinking because it's like, well, like, and at that point, I didn't really have any emotions with that event because it just gave like a hope to my brain that, well, if it is a miscarriage, then I am actually able to conceive, right? So, so it's like my brain is telling me, so it is possible for it to happen. There is just something that is preventing it from happening. But like my brain got this little boost of, it is possible, you know, you can do it. So that kind of did give me, I guess it gave me a little glimmer of hope that I needed at that time. Um, And then when I called my doctor and then, you know, they're like, well, yeah, you're not, you're not pregnant. Right. Um, And did the bleeding stop? And I said, yeah, it did stop after like, I was bleeding for like five weeks at the time. Right. And they did um, the test, I think like three weeks into me bleeding. So I remember asking them, but was I pregnant? Was it even a possibility that I was? And I remember like crickets on there, and which like, I think they were just surprised because they didn't expect me to ask that question. And then they weren't sure how I will react to either of the answers that they could possibly give me. So they just kind of were stumped and didn't say anything. And to me, that was kind of a confirmation that yes, it most likely was a sort of miscarriage. And I remember saying on the phone, oh, so I guess I can conceive. <laughs> and that kind of started that conversation with my doctor where he started asking me, like, have you been trying and so forth? And basically he referred me to the, he said, you should probably see your obstetrician, right? So I called the one that I've been going to with my first son, but they told me, oh, you need a referral. So basically I called my family doctor back, got a referral to the obstetrician and you know, I went to him to ask him, you know, like, we've been trying to conceive for such a long time now, it's just not happening. You know, like, what's the disconnect? Like, why is it not happening? Is there something wrong with me, my husband, or, you know, I don't know. And I kind of was putting the blame mostly on myself, because, 
Like, why can't I conceive? You know what I mean? Like, there is probably something wrong with me. Um, and he didn't really do any tests, didn't ask me any questions. At that point, he just gave me, I don't remember the name of the drug, but it's basically a progesterone-based uh, drug that's supposed to make you ovulate more, like produce more eggs, for, for example, right? From what I remember. Um, so, you know, I was like, oh, great. Okay, probably this will help. And I just started taking it, which was, um, from what I remember, you didn't have to take it through the entire month. You just have to take it from ovulation to the period starting. Or like, I don't remember exactly, but it was, um, you just had to take it a little bit throughout the month. And it was supposed to, in theory, help with basically ovulation and conception. Um, and in theory, he said I could be indefinitely on it. <laughs> but I remember from the first time I took it, it put me in such a rage. And emotionally, I was a huge mess. Like It was like a PMS on steroids times 100. <laughs> like. And I, I was a nightmare to my husband. Like, he is a patient man. Um, so my story is not only a story of infertility, but it's also a story of growing to a motherhood and a wifehood. Because even though we did have already a child, I did not realize at that point that I could be a mother that I am today. And that arrived with our second son. Um, so. Getting back to the the drugs that I got from my doctor, so I'm taking them and it's making me a witch, basically, <laughs> an awful person, like really, to the point that I took it for two months and I went back to him and said, listen, I can't do this. Like, th this is just like, like, I cannot, this is, this is not right or any of the levels. And I kind of also were thinking like, I don't know if this is a good idea to do if I want to conceive the baby, you know, like all that rage. It's like, how is that going to impact potentially a baby, right? Like all of these emotions, which is funny because it kind of, you know, it's like you have these flashes of consciousness that's telling you all of that, but you don't really realize it until you go through the entire process and you look at it from a perspective of the entire experience. So basically the doctor tells me, oh, you know what, then why don't I recommend you to a fertility clinic? So he tells me this is, you know, the best clinic in the city. Uh, the doctor that runs it is the main doctor who does infertility uh, tr treatments at McMaster University, which is like the biggest medical school here in Canada, at least in Ontario. Um, so I'm like, okay, I'm in good hands here, you know? Uh, so we went to the fertility clinic and at that point, my husband started like, why do we have to do that? Like, why do we have to do, go to the fertility clinic and so forth? And I'm like, listen, I don't know. Like, I just want some answers. You know, I want to know maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe, I don't know. I have a scanning on my uterus or, and it's like, my brain is just putting all of these images in my head because, you know. Because you hear the stories and it's like your friends are telling you stories too. You know, friends who are dealing with infertility as well or, 
you know, or like different stuff. And, you know, it's like, it's, it's all that noise. Um, so anyways, we went to the clinic. My husband was not too happy, but he's like, okay, I'll do it because I love you, you know? Um, so we're basically going through the motions of they're checking, you know, ultrasound after ultrasound to see what's inside, you know, and, and so forth. And basically so many ultrasounds. Um, and, you know, obviously the typical stuff that they do with men, which is basically counting the sperm count and so forth. And the conclusion after is, he tells me, well, you know, I don't really know. Um, there isn't really physically anything wrong with you. So it's an inexplicable infertility, uh, which is the diagnosis. And I'm like, that sounds very ominous. <laughs> okay, let's go with that. And I'm thinking, how, how it can be that it's inexplicable? You know, like everything has an explanation. And that's my brain and this paradigm of academic performance in there, right? Like, how can it be inexplicable? It's like you have all of this equipment and you're telling me it's inexplicable, right? Um, and at that point, he, he, you know, takes out the page and does this graph of like, you know, this is the percentage of women that are getting pregnant at your age and the older you get, that percentages drops. And this is, we can make it happen. This is how much it's going to cost and so forth. And in my head, I'm thinking, you know, that's all great. And I understand this, but like, it's like he's trying to get an answer from me right now where I didn't even have a chance to discuss this with my husband, you know, like show me the options and then we'll make a decision together and then see what that decision is, right? And I remember him vividly telling me he was also, he was a Spaniard um, and Catholic and he had this huge gold cross on his neck. Um, and he, well, I think it's actually one of the questions on the form that you have to answer when you go to the clinic, what is your religious background? And he knew that I'm Catholic. So he's telling me the story about how, you know, there is a man on the roof and there's a flood and, and there are, these are, there are those boats coming by and telling the man, because he's praying, God save me. So those boats are coming and telling him hop in we'll we'll like help you and he's like no no god will, will save me right so you know yet another boat comes by and he doesn't hop in he just stays on the roof and says god will save me and this doctor tells me you know this is like this situation that god is giving you this option of having ivf and i'm thinking in my head god is not giving me this option this is a man made option and you're just, yes, you may be a religious man with this huge gold cross on your neck, but you're playing God here. And I'm having this, these thoughts in my head, like, 
he's, you know, basically I'm sitting there on this little cot in his office and he's telling me this story and he's all in his head about how great all of this is and that we're able to have this IVF journey to conceive a baby and how this is a gift from a God. And I'm thinking, like in my head, I'm having a completely different conversation that this man is having, you know, like I'm thinking, wow, like, and it's funny because I did not realize up until that point that all of that that journey up until that point that it is a journey that is not aligned with how life is created on earth with God's purpose. And I realized that in that moment in that office with him telling me that story that oh my god like here you are playing God. And that solution that you are pushing on me is not a God-given solution. And what I came here to find out, I already know because you told me, I am able to conceive a baby. You just don't know why, because to you it's inexplicable infertility. But I have to, between me and my husband and what we want, And what we wish for in life, we have to figure out what we will do with all of that knowledge and how we want all of that to progress. So I basically, you know, said, well, thank you. I have to talk to my husband and we'll get back to you. (laughs) Which, you know, he was not too happy because he was hoping that I'll just tell him right there and there. Okay, let's do it. You know, he's my down payment (laughs) and whatnot. Right. So I came back home. And we had a conversation, one of many, with my husband about how we view our life, um, how we want to proceed, and how basically, like, what's happening there emotionally, you know, between me, him, what are, what it is that we want, what are our hopes? And we started talking and we said, you know what, like, we have been blessed in life with a child already. And just because, In my head, I have this vision of a family of three, you know, three little babies. (laughs) Um, And my husband didn't really really have a vision. He just, you know, he just kind of went with what life threw at him at that time. But he just knew that I have this vision. And he was like, yeah, if you want a baby, let's, let's have a baby, right? And basically, we talked about it. And... At that moment, it kind of just, you know, we have like this huge, enormous relief and a stone ease and just fall out of our life. And we just basically said, you know what? Maybe that's our story. Maybe we're just meant to have this one son that we should love dearly and we should just focus on being a family of three, you know, not a family of however many, because that's the image that I had in my head and I was projecting it all that time, right? And that was extremely profound because from that point on, we have actually grown so much closer together with my husband as a husband and wife. And I have changed as a mother as well, because 
I let go of that notion of being a family of multiple, you know, kids. And I just focused on, on every day, being there for my husband and being there for my son. But of course, you know, I'm a thinker. So also my brain started telling me, you know what, through all of that process that we went, nobody has asked us question, what's your nutrition? What's your stress level like? You know, um, what's what's your emotional well-being like at this point? What's your physical well-being? Well, I think they did ask actually about exercising, but that was like, you know, do you exercise, right? From like, you know, it's healthy to exercise. But like, even the type of exercising, when I started thinking about it, what if I exercised, you know, I don't know, run 10Ks every single day? Is that good for conception? Probably not, right? And it's one of the questions that they should ask. They actually should have a knowledge of this to begin with. Um, so I took a good hard look at my life and I've decided, well, first of all, I'm like totally overweight. <laughs> I actually was working two jobs at the time as well because I'm a small business owner and I was, you know, when I started my business like five years earlier, it was small and I needed a steady job. So basically I had two jobs going and my business at that point was big enough that I was actually overstressing and overworking myself extremely. Um, so I talked to my husband and he's like, well, figure out what you want to do and quit one because honestly, you're right. You are way overworking yourself completely, right? So at that time, I'm like, okay, then I just want to do my business. And my husband is like, that's kind of scary. Because, <laughs> you know, like to him, a nine to five is like steady income and so forth. But like he said, okay, if that's what you want to do, then okay, let's do it, right? And so basically that allowed me to like, you know, go to bed with my son at a reasonable time of 10 p.m. and get up at a reasonable time in the morning as opposed to like burning a so-called midnight candle to 2 a.m. and like getting up at 6, right? Um, but also emotionally, it has changed us profoundly, um, right? Because, you know, we started doing all these things that in my head, it's like, you know what, like, I am not surprised because the, like our life and our physical health has been like, we were just like doing what everybody else is doing. Honestly, like all of the people that I know are doing the same thing. Um, so, you know, that has changed my health as well. And I figured, you know what, honestly, at this point, I really don't care, even if that does not help to conceive, because at that point, we were like, if we have a baby, that's great. If we don't, that's great too. Like we were not desperate for that baby anymore. We kind of decided that, you know what, maybe, maybe just God thought that this will be the best for us and this is our journey. So, so basically I'm going through these motions and thinking, you know what, if that does not eventually one day help to conceive, then I will be that much healthier if I actually take care of my health, right? Um, and, you I'm, know, like, I'm overweight. So I'm also thinking, well, what do I do to lose weight? <laughs> and at that point, I... Um, I, I yeah. am curious how many years has lapsed when you start getting healthier. 
So that was uh, from the time we decided that it's time for another baby. That's seven. Okay. No. Uh, yes, seven. So from the beginning, from my, yeah, because I kind of count the years <laughs> between the birth of my kids, which makes it to a 10, right? But this is pretty much seven. Um, and, you know, I, I get wrapped up in these diets and like probably not healthy. Well, I know that they're really not healthy because I ended up um, going on a ketogenic diet, which can work for some people and for some people it can be great. However, it's probably not, not the best thing to be on permanently. Um, I did lose a lot of weight. I actually was lucky because in my need to research stuff, I did ketogenic diet properly. So basically I was eating all the right foods and not you know, completely depleting myself of nutrients as some people unfortunately fall for. Um, well, and you know, life is basically good, right? Um, and so all of that started being in November of 2016. Fast forward to 2017, and at the beginning of August, I had an episode which turned out to be a cyst broke on my ovary, like burst, which was like a huge amount of pain, right? Um, and back then, all I could think about was like, I had so many ultrasounds. Why haven't anybody seen that? You know, you would think that they would see that there is a cyst on my ovary in during all of those ultrasounds, because, you know, like I had so many of them when we were going through that infertility journey. Um, and that was my fault then. And actually, uh, knowing Germanic new medicine now, I know why I had that cyst. Uh, because the thing is that from the Germanic new medicine point of view, it's a resolution to your conflict to your infertility conflict and it takes nine months for that cyst to grow on your ovary um and when i looked at it from that point of view it was like we basically gave into that healing that started for us in november of 2016 and that cyst didn't burst until august of 2017 which is basically nine months which would be the period of a typical pregnancy um, so, but I only know that now, which is, you know, we are in 2024 and it's actually like, when I look at my, all of that journey, it's like so profound. Hold on. I want to, I want to explain that a little further for people who don't know German new medicine, because yeah. it's a really profound story because you and your husband let go, right? You, you were at yes. war with your, you were at war with your life for seven years. Absolutely. And then. And then accepted it. You got to peace. You you had resolution to this infertile diagnosis. You're like, ah, oh, it's okay. We will focus on the one child we have, and we accept if that's all we have. That's all we have. Yes. So you you emotionally resolved the infertility issue, and then your yes. body went into resolution phase, which is the cyst. The cyst is the resolution phase of an emotional conflict. And yes. the cyst was the proof that your psyche was accepting 
your life. You weren't at war with your life anymore. And your body, your body reflected that. It's so amazing. It is absolutely profound um, and unbelievable. Yeah, it's the type of event that unless like unless you experience it it is really really hard to comprehend it with your brain yeah right and so after that episode you know and we were with my husband emotionally our relationship was deepening as well um very profoundly right so I remember in September, we were at a party, uh, just a family party, and we were just sitting at the beach because it was like a beach party. And, you know, we were just sitting there and I was holding my husband's hand and we were looking at our son. And it's like I could feel this understanding between me and my... We we didn't even have to talk, you know? Mm -hmm. We just looked at ourselves we looked at the beach and it was beautiful and the sun was actually setting so it's like and you have this no words required conversation with your husband and the flow of emotions and it's like basically like a frequency that you just tune into between you and him and you don't need any words and it's like you know, this is our life and we love it. And it's like, yes, this is, you know, we choose this, right? And it's beautiful and we're okay with that. And that's the end of September. And about three weeks after, I found out that I'm pregnant with our second son. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah, like at the beginning, like probably like two weeks into October. Um, and. Like I was nearing um, my, I was supposed to get my period and I started getting this weird cramping and I'm like, okay, like this is different than it normally is, but I'd like, I should probably get my period in the next few days. Right. And I'm like, what if I'm pregnant? Like, because this feels, and it's like between that moment that we had, that we shared with my husband, it's like my consciousness is telling me, you know what, like, you might be pregnant, (laughs) you know? So I didn't even wait for my period to begin. I just went and, like, I remember holding my, when I realized that, I remember holding my son and thinking, like, you are probably pregnant, right? So I went, did a test, and lo and behold, I'm pregnant. (laughs) And it's like, wow, (laughs) you know? And... It's like, like, I could not believe it, honestly. Like, on one hand, yeah, like, I know that, like, you're pregnant, right? But it's like, I cannot believe it. And it was so overwhelming. But also, at that moment, my overactive brain is telling me this stuff. And it tells me, what if you have a miscarriage? Yeah. And I'm like... I just yep. started getting pregnant. Like, you know, what if you have a miscarriage? Because I'm having also this weird cramping and it's like my period is needing, like I, it could very much end in a few days, right? 
And I have this nagging thought, what if I have a miscarriage? What if I have a miscarriage? What if I have a miscarriage? And, you know, the day I should have gotten my period came and went and I'm not having that period. And this baby is growing and constantly I have in my head, what if you have a miscarriage? Yeah. You've been waiting for this baby for such a long time. And it's like, I am grateful, but I am so scared at the same time. Scared for this growing baby. And what if I have a miscarriage? And it's like, this has been on repeat throughout entire pregnancy. Like, and. It makes sense. It makes sense because the human mind is consumed with fear at all times, right? It's going to tell us our worst fear all the time and tell us worry after worry. And so it makes sense that if we're not getting pregnant, our brain is telling us, what if you never get pregnant? What if it never happens? It's telling us our worst fear when we're not getting pregnant. And then when we get what we want, it's telling us, but what if you lose it? What if you lose the thing? Oh my goodness, yes. And that's, that's, that's purely the function of the mind. And that's what's so hard to live with. But we all have that voice in our head that's trying to tell us, that's trying to get us to act in fear all the time. And that's really the thing that I have talked to other women that aren't getting pregnant about is, can you realize that your fear will transform? That once yes. you get pregnant or once you have a baby, the anxiety and fear of not getting pregnant will transform to different fears. So it's really about facing fear constantly and not acting from it and having this relationship with fear and how can your relationship with fear transform because it'll never go away. When you're a parent, you're consumed with fear about your child. (laughs) Yes. And actually that feeling is extremely important to the rest of our story because it did transform in a, and it impacted it in a, a, another profound way. Um, because once our son was born and this pregnancy actually was completely different to my first one because I wanted to be with a midwife this time around. I was not happy with my delivery and, well, the experience of delivery and the obstetrician, which is kind of funny because I, I went back to that paradigm with the infertility, right? But like I remember one of the things that actually scared me a lot was the sweep before. Like the, he did not prepare me at all. He just shoved his hand inside. He's like, oh, we just have to check the baby, right? And he did a sweep and it was extremely painful. Um like he didn't tell me anything they just and it's interesting too because in Poland the relationship between a patient and a doctor is much more open you know much more about your own body Uh, you can read your own blood test it's not a secret where here in Canada that has only been available to patients for the last few years when I first moved here it was like you didn't even see any of that paperwork they just send it directly to the doctor and it was up to him to tell you whether, you know, what's in there. Whereas, like, I'm not an idiot. I know how to read my own blood work, right? Um, but anyways, with this pregnancy, I decided that I want to go with the mid- with midwife because I've heard so much more 
you know, like the treatment of a patient is much different. It's more aligned with what, how I viewed a pregnancy should be and delivery should be. And we were extremely lucky because I didn't know it back then, but we actually ended up delivering with a midwife who was much more in this paradigm of allowing a woman and the um, birth progress as naturally as possible, which I didn't know. But like looking back, basically it was up to me to decide how I want to birth. Um, and she she pretty much just was there to kind of assist, but she allowed me to, still in the hospital setting, but she allowed me um, to just do what felt most natural right but once our son was born i remember thinking oh my god he's born like now i can protect him you know because he's out of there he's like i won't miscarry anymore you know i'll protect him um and then the fun stuff started because you know he is my emotional baby and through his emotions, he has shown me so much. So, you know, we get him bringing home and stuff. And he cries all the time, like all the time, you know. Oh, he's just colicky. And I'm like, there is something wrong. Like children don't cry 24-7 and don't require you to hold them 24-7. You know, like, and if I didn't have my first one, I would be like, I guess maybe this is normal, you know. And especially when you talk to other moms and they're like, oh, it's normal, they cry, let them, let them, you know, cry it out. And I'm like, no, there is like something definitely not right here. Like, you know, no matter how colicky babies can be, there is something wrong here. And then, you know, you do the typical stuff, track their pooping, track their peeing and whatnot. And I'm like, he's not really pooping, you know, there is something wrong here. And like, basically between him feeding he was like a bottomless pit feeding constantly, right? And the doctor tells me, oh, it's probably because his tummy hurts and he's, think, you know, feels best when it's full. So that's why he wants to feed because like the way he was feeding, he would be feeding for an hour, then half an hour break, and then he wants to go on the breast again, right? You know, and so between his birth and like six months of age, I've been at my family doctor multiple times with this. It's like, and I'm telling him, like, there is something off here, you know? I don't know what, but there is something wrong here. Like, he is in obvious distress, in obvious pain. I started tracking his pooping. And at some point, when he was still on breast milk, it was fairly often, but, like, not daily. And then at six months when we started solids, he basically defaulted to pooping once every three weeks. So I'm going to one doctor, to another doctor, and they are all telling me, oh, it's normal. Kids have it that way. They just hold it in. And I'm like, how can a few-month-old baby just decide to hold it in? Like, <laughs> You would think that it will just, like, go because, you know, like, basically, like, I'm thinking they don't have consciousness to consciously hold it in. And even if they do, it's not normal to poop every three weeks. Like, for goodness me, you know, how would you feel if you pooped every three weeks, right? So basically, uh, you know, my family doctor got fed up with me because I'm being difficult <laughs> here. 
So he sent me to a pediatrician. And again, this woman tells me, oh, this is quite normal, you know, because at that point, like he's pooping probably sometimes every two weeks, sometimes every 10 days, sometimes every three weeks. But, you know, in a month, we're getting maybe four poops, right? Because I'm tracking all of that on a calendar. And she tells me, well, which is it? Is it 10 days or two weeks? Because 10 days, every 10 days is normal. And I'm thinking, how many dysregulated children are you seeing these days that every 10 days is normal for you? So, you know, my my brain is telling me, okay, like these people are useless, <laughs> you know? So I got back to the drawing board and looking for answers and I kind of, started thinking, you know, I changed my health around. Maybe I should approach it differently. You know, what's our diet like? What's the stress level and so forth? And I ended up going to a naturopath with him, which started helping. But I'm still very much in this paradigm of kind of academic approach, just changing from the medical system modality to the natural health modality, where I still trust the naturopath to know best. I still trust that this remedy will help or that remedy will help, which they do to a degree, but it's, you know, that one remedy is not the solution, right? You have to look at pretty much everything. Um, And, well, and we started shifting stuff in life, right? We changed, you know, we always cooked. So it's not like our food was never bad or typical, you know, standard American diet. We were never there. I'm a very much a scratch cooker um, because that's how I was raised inside our home. So our diet was not bad, but we've never looked into organic foods, for example, right? So I'm switching all of these foods from like the conventional meat from the store, the conventional vegetables to like, I'm looking for farmers, right? That grow locally and feed their animals and treat them well. And like, you know, or the organic foods and stuff. And like, you know, we checked all of the cleaning chemicals and, and stuff like that. So we're making all of these changes and it is helping. And at some point, you know, We've arrived at the point where the naturopath we were with, she didn't know what to do with us anymore because she's like, you're already doing all of these things. And the extent of knowledge that I have is not really bringing anything new, right? Which she didn't say that. She just kind of said, well, you know, if you feel like you want to come back, come back. If not, you know. (laughs) So that kind of basically told me that, like, she doesn't know what to do with us anymore because it's not that there is nothing else we can do. It's just she doesn't know that because she has certain amount of knowledge and her brain maybe just doesn't want to absorb any other knowledge or more knowledge. And it's just what she knows. It's the same like with that doctor. He had no other knowledge. So within his paradigm, This is the solution he's giving us. And I'm thinking, it's not that there is nothing else that can be done. It's just these people don't know what else can be done. So I'm thinking, well, it's up to me to figure out what else can be done. You know, I, as a mom, am pretty much 
capable of researching infinitely what I can possibly research to help my baby. So, um, so that's what I basically did. I started, you know, researching whatever I can. And basically when we quit our first naturopath, he was probably around two. And I should probably also say how he was. So it's not only that he's not pooping. He is generally a very sad baby. You know how you have a baby and they smile at you and like it touches their eyes and you see that and it's like he's never ever giving me that. Like he may laugh because something is funny, but it's like there is no genuine joy in his life, you know? Like even when he comes up to me for a hug, it's because he doesn't come because it's a genuine affection and joy that he experiences with the connection to me as a mother. It is because he is so miserable in the pain that he has that he comes to me because that's the only comfort he knows. So, you know, so between all of that emotional stuff that's happening, I'm researching because I'm academically performing person who, you know, does the research and whatnot, and I'm researching and researching. And it's like, you know, mineral imbalances and toxins and detox and like, you know, <laughs> with his behavior, he's kind of, he, he was never diagnosed with autism, but he has been displaying displaying these autistic behaviors, right? So I'm thinking, okay, diet, you know, one thing is organic and whatnot, but it, like healing the gut and like, you know, Dr. Natasha McBride and autistic children diet and this and that. And it's like, you know, and we're applying these things and most of them are working and he is beginning to change. And up until three years old, he's been pretty much nonverbal, where he would say a word here and there, but he's not connecting with you. There is not much eye contact, right? So, and at that point, we're in, with no doctor <laughs> at all. It's just me, you know, taking my sovereignty here and thinking, you know what, I can, like, yeah, they have degrees, whatnot, but those degrees are nothing because I am as capable of doing this research, if not more capable than anybody else, because I know my child best, right? So I'm doing all of that research and it's sticking. And then I stumble on emotional health, right? Because it's not only that physical, but it's also emotional. And at that point, he was probably, yeah, there's a few things in there because he was around four. Um, and in Canada at the age four is when the children start kindergarten, right? So I signed him up for school, but I'm thinking like, how is he going to do? Like, he's not really much for being away from, you know, he doesn't like to leave the house, which is one of the things that a fear-based pregnancy is basically putting that fear in him, right? And And it's like, he has this fear of things, fear of 
leaving the house, fear of changing situations, right? Like separation anxiety was huge in him always. Like there are still remnants of that and that we're working. Um, But, you know, like I'm reading about that emotional health and thinking, oh my God, like that pregnancy puts so much, so much in that child, you know, like no wonder that he is that way. It's like, Like, you know, all of that, that, it's like, yes, we were waiting for him for such a long time, but all that fear that I felt and all of these emotions that I had, had such a profound impact on him. And I didn't even realize that back then, right? So basically, I signed him up for the kindergarten, September comes, he goes to school and like... And I kind of know in my heart that this might not be a good idea, right? So we pick him up after school, which is like, he's been there for what, like maybe five hours. And I look at him and he's just a mess. Like his face is just like a scared little puppy, like, or like a scared little rabbit. Like it's, like so many emotions in this child and like I look at him and I'm like nudging my husband and saying listen like he's going to be sick by the time evening comes like he looks like honest to goodness he will come down with a cold or something right and lo and behold he comes down with a cold he has like a full-out fever in the evening and like sniffles and whatnot and like entire weekend he's sick in bed with a fever and, and so forth And I'm like, how can I send him to school if this is what happens after five hours in a day? Like, because he had, yeah, he, from the German New Medicine perspective. Yes, I was just about to say that. Yep, in your brain, he was in so many emotional conflicts from school. Yes, it's basically a conflict of, I don't like this situation, right? Uh, it's it comes from a stink conflict, which could be taken literally as I don't like the smell, or I like um, not school, li- literally, but like like a parable, as in school stinks. <laughs> yes, right. Or like this situation stinks because it doesn't have to be school. It can be a situation that you're dealing with, right? So basically, you know. And I didn't know it back then because now I look at this situation through a German new medicine paradigm, right? But but I had the time to analyze it. But it's just like back then from a point of view of a mom who knows her child and realizes that there is so much emotion in there and the way he is, it's just like this is not a good situation for him. So basically I talked to my husband and I told him, listen, like, I don't think he should go to school. So we basically kept him home. Um, I Well, we kind of ended up going back. The principal said, oh, you know what? Why don't you just come in with him and ease him into it and see what then? And I went uh, to the classroom with him, but it was just like, it just confirmed what I already knew that this is not a situation for him. It was loud, like 60 children, three different classes, but in a one space. So 60 plus children, 
constant noise, constant moving elements, like, you know, so many stuff happening, so much noise. And it's like, I can, and I can see him, like, he may not be looking at that stuff because he was playing with something, but it's like, I can just look at him and see his ears just perking up like every single time he gets like a like a noise um nudge nudge like let's call it nudge right or like somebody passes by and it's like no this is like no just no right so i came back home and told my husband no no this is we're not doing this (laughs) which to my husband it was actually devastating to him because at that point, my husband, see, like, my husband was going with our decision, with actually, I guess my decision of not sending him to school, what I was going through with our infertility. Like, he had very much this mindset of, you know, kids go to school because they make friends and they go on trips and it's so much fun. And like he had this idea of how he wants our children to experience childhood and school. And it was really hard for him to give that up. And I remember having a conversation with him where, you know, we had many, some were very heated. But the last one that was most profound was I told my husband, listen, when you go to work and he actually works very long days um, where he works like, you know, leaves at 6 a.m. and doesn't come back till 8 p.m. Right. So um, and goes on like trips. So he's away for periods of time. Um, But anyways, I told him, listen, when you leave the house, you put your absolute trust in me and my ability to decide was what is best for our children in my ability to take care of them protect them feed them make sure that they are protected and cared for the best we can give them and i said i asked you to trust me on this one too i know that this is what your brain and ego is telling you that you would love for them to have this experience because you went through it. But I ask you to trust in me when I tell you that this is not their path and not how it should be. And we had the same profound healing at that time as we did when we let go of our idea of how we imagine our pregnancy journey and how many kids we should have. So when, and it's, it's amazing because after that conversation, our son started talking more. He started building full sentences. He was more like his, his mental health started changing. So between me having all of these revelations that I was having and then my husband letting go of his ideas and having a revelation that, you know what, like, yeah, maybe we should just let go and allow for these kids to lead us where they are leading us to because they're showing us these things, right? He, 
he started talking more. He started giving us more eye contact. Um, and the fact that I guess maybe subconsciously we started projecting stuff on him because it was like, like one of the layers of those autistic behaviors just lifted up, you know? <laughs> that's what I, that's how I've seen it basically, right? And, and basically once I kind of, that from that entire thing with the school and when i realized how emotional health impacts our physicality i started digging more into emotional health and then i stumbled upon healing a mother and father wound and i actually when i stumbled upon that i started thinking more about my husband because him and i we both come from a very narcissistic based house where my father and his father are your typical narcissists. Their treatment of a family has been a little bit different because my husband's father was very aggressive emotionally and abusive emotionally, as in lots of yelling, lots of harsh words, lots of ego squashing of the children and the mother and his mom was very much in a victimhood um, position where she has been a victim of his dad but never really and like a victim and also silent treatment of the children instead of instead of coming at them with love and trying to heal, right? Whereas with my mom, my dad was never emotionally abusive, but he's been very, very egoistic and very needy. And my dad is a typical hypochondriac. He just comes up with this idea that he's sick and it happens. <laughs> and my mom is very much in a position of a servitude towards that. Um, so for example, my relationship with my mom has always been so much more open and much more emotional and in depth that my husband's relationship with his mother, but very much so my mom has been always a servant to my dad's needs and requirements. So when I started looking into emotional health, mental health, nervous system health, we started having this conversation with my husband. So we unpacked all of that throughout, basically between our son being four and this day. We've unpacked so much of that and how that has influenced the way we've raised our first son, how we've looked at our, our attitude towards the entire pregnancy and infertility as well. You know, these thoughts that we were having, it ha has very much been created with the behaviors that have been instilled in us and programmed by all of the things our, our parents did, you know? Like, even for example, even me being so overweight, like, I've always heard from my dad, oh, don't eat that, you know, it will make you fat. <laughs> And it's like, 
in his paradigm, it is kind of set from a place of love because you know what he's thinking? I don't want her, I want her to be healthy, right? But he does not realize that in me, this is creating this storm of self-hate that, you know, like that I do and self-hate and, and, and a feeling of lack of love that I am not being accepted the way I am, right? And it's kind of, so basically, you know, all of that and healing the mother-father wound has at some point, because, you know, I'm this researcher who has to understand stuff. So I've stumbled upon Germanic new medicine and that has, and I just, you know, went through a lot of things and it has just explained so, so much. And that boy that we had struggled with infertility with, and then the pregnancy and his arrival, it has brought us to exactly this point and in such a profound way. And honest to goodness, it has also changed my my relationship with God, because I've been raised in this paradigm, you know, go to church, you do your prayers, and if you don't go to church, you should feel guilty and so forth. And it's just all this noise, because the, deep down, when I started thinking about all of those things, and like, also going through the doctor and the naturopath, it's like, what do I know deep down? What is this profound thing when you scrap all, all that noise? What I know is that God is and that he has created this world, providing us with everything that we need to live this best, beautiful life that we have. Because like when I'm getting all of that knowledge, I'm also learning so much about how actually the human body functions, how when you have a mom who's breastfeeding, the signal from the enzymes in the saliva is hitting the breast and that's making the milk exactly what that baby needs that day, right? And you're learning about all of these processes, how you're basically, your body is like a huge chemical processing machines that you receive all of that from where you're supposed to get it from, which is your good food. And how when you have this conflict in you, your body is basically, you know, overusing because you're in this mentally in such a spot that your body is conflicted and you're you know, your computer that's supposed to use only that much starts using this much, you know, and you're running into, and like, it's just the level of knowledge where it's unbelievable and so beautiful because, because it's like, I remember my mom telling me one day that Socrates said, the more, um, I'm paraphrasing because it's not exact. It's like, no, he said, I know that I don't know anything, Right. And it's like you arrive at this spot where you just start learning all of these things and you realize that, yeah, like there is so much in there that it's actually on one hand, it's impossible to learn. But on the other hand, it's like this beautiful curiosity because you're fascinated by all of that. And that that's pretty much where we are at right now, you know, like and how that's changed our the way we speak to our children 
the way we we talk to them like my older son for example um he because he's been raised in this very medical paradigm there's been some stuff that's been coming up in in between that unless we had our second son anthony our first son today would be in a completely different spot in his life like our life has been altered through this entire process so much that it, like I can't even describe how much. I have a question. Yeah. With now, with what you believe about the emotions playing a huge, massive role in, in everything. Yes. What what do you feel now about maybe your your baby that cried all the time or didn't didn't hardly poop? Like, do you feel like your baby was taking on your fear and your emotions and your stress. What, how do you think about that? I think that that baby was a mirror for me to have this lesson. Oh, okay. It's hard for me to say. What I think is I am deeply grateful that it has all unraveled the way it has. Because if it didn't, I wouldn't have never, ever arrived at where I am today. Um, What I think is absolutely he, like that entire stress was basically him taking on my stress but i don't only believe and but i think this is not deep enough a description because when we look at it that way it's very much our brain trying to explain this and there is so much more in there right because it's not only you re- realizing that yes the baby is absorbing the fear so it's no wonder that they have that yes that baby is releasing that fear uh right but it's not only but it's not only and not just that right so so very much so all of that was a matter for me to be able to be in a position where i am able to comprehend that with my brain because honest to goodness i don't think my brain would have been able to comprehend all of this unless it was opened to this to receiving this type of knowledge you know um because i was very much so always a believer of oh you know kids yes they have these emotions and yes they they do feel but you never about how those emotions impact them right like honestly i never even up until I found new Germanic medicine, I myself have never gone through the process of healing, of healing everything that my parents said. And it was not said in a way to hurt me. It was said out of love, but they just did not have this level of comprehension. So they could not have raised me any other way. Right? So it's like you arrive at this spot where it's like very much so basically trying to come 
and change the trauma that has been there through generations to a degree, right? And it's unbelievable because also while I'm having these revelations about all of that, he is healing so much, like emotionally, you know, like he physically still is not pooping where we would like him to be. Like he poops, depends. Sometimes he'll poop every other day. Sometimes he'll poop daily. Sometimes he'll have like two days um, stop, right? But, you know, he learns so fast. Oh my goodness. Like he's homeschooled right now because I know that he's still not there to um, go to school, but like he's so smart. And so many emotions in this child. Like, and those emotions, I look at them and they are just showing me the mirror of what we need to learn, right? So basically all of those experiences that we are having in our life, because, you know, it's not just that at this point, right? Like, you know, I kind of, I kind of at some point arrived to a spot where my brain started focusing on just thinking about what can be done to help him, right? Um, So, you know, it's like basically all of us are going through our healing, right? Um, But, like, he's so talkative, right? And so, so beautiful, like... So it's kind of like... You know, growing into motherhood and growing into wifehood with all of these conversations with my husband, because unless they happen, our relationship would not get to the spot we're at today, right? So, and growing into motherhood, because if I did not have this experience with this infertility and this child, the way it was unraveling, I would not be the mother that I am to my older son. Right. And honestly, I think my idea of being a mother back then was so shallow <laughs> and so one-dimensional. Whereas it is it is so much, right? Yeah, I, I wanna know what advice, if you have any, what wisdom, because you've been through so much, what wisdom do you have for women that are in middle of their journey of not getting pregnant? I would say try to draw out all of the noise. Just scrap everything that you know, everything that anybody is telling you. Just make your make your brain a blank slate. Scrap all of the expectations, everything that you've been ever told and try to find a resolution with your soul and peace with your soul because all of that other stuff is something that has been created by your brain an idea of how you want your life and so forth but deep down when you face the fear of not being able to conceive of not being a mom can you can you and i know it's hard to say but like can you imagine 
your life to to progress in a way where your soul is at peace and just listen to your soul and come to peace with it no matter what happens no matter what life throws at you just find this peace because at that point your life will unravel in ways that you have never expected